Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 34. Today's interview is with Chef Nick Foz from Table X in Salt Lake City. Uh, last week on Halloween, Andrew and I had reservations to go to Table X, and we uh, did this cool thing that they call the Chef's Tasting Menu, where you don't just kind of order one thing. Actually, you don't order anything. They kind of bring you out all of your like specific things. Now, let me say, you can also go to Table X and choose what you want to order, but I cannot recommend this experience that we had enough. It was so amazing. I'm sincerely, I've never experienced anything like it. Everything they brought out was just artful and like intricate and I mean, stunning in every single way. Um, I was like fully enthralled by the experience so much so that I didn't take any pictures. Um, so I wish I could like show you, like take you on a visual tour through this meal that we had, but I was just present and enjoying it. And so I don't have pictures for you, but I mean, I, I can't say enough times. I've just, I've never experienced anything like it. And everyone in the restaurant was just like so beautifully kind and like warm. And it was, it's beautiful in the restaurant and like the plates, um, a lot of them are made by Clark Marshall, who I interviewed in a previous episode. Just beautiful, like handcrafted plates and these amazing dishes. Like every little ingredient like has a story and has been like, you know, prepared with absolute care and artistry. It was amazing. So if you live in Utah um, and you're looking for somewhere nice to go, please go to Table X and support what these guys are doing. We are so lucky to have them here in Utah. Um, wow, really, like I'm such a fan. And if you are not in Utah, but you're coming to visit or something, put Table X on your list of things, places to be when you're here in Utah. Um, I think that's my only like news uh, nothing else that I really wanted to say. I mean, yeah, I plan, I kind of, I interviewed Nick a really long time ago and, uh, Andrew and I had reservations on, on Halloween. That was like the day that we could both go. So I wanted to kind of wait. Um, and I'm, and I'm glad I waited so I could kind of tell you guys right before you hear from Nick. Um, and you'll hear in the interview too, he's just open and creative and, um, Okay, so I'm going to read you Nick's bio. It's written in the first person. I'm going to kind of read it to you, not in the first person. Um, so if I'm like a little awkward as I'm reading it, it's maybe because I'm making those transitions, but I'm going to do my best. Okay, here's Chef Nick Faz's bio. Nick's mother comes from a strong Italian family raised in New Orleans. Family was all about food and Southern hospitality. Nick's father was obsessed with French culinary tradition and always wanted to be a chef. He graduated from Institut Paul Bocuse. I don't speak French. I took French in eighth grade, so I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but it's in Lyon, France. Uh, so Nick's father went to culinary school in 2004. Nick wasn't exposed to this obsessive side of his father until shortly before he passed away. Nick became intertwined with his dad's passion. After he graduated from the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York, Nick traveled to France, Spain, and Italy to better understand food culture and the craftsmanship of fine cuisine. Nick worked for and ran kitchens in Maine, Wisconsin, New York, and Virginia before coming to Salt Lake. Table X is a culmination of Nick's ideals. 
deep compassion for community, coupled with food that is inspired by local ingredients, art, and expression. Um, and Nick runs Table X with, well, we talk about it in the podcast, but with two, um, two like, you know, his, his chef brothers, they're not actually brothers, but they're brothers, um, Chef Mike and Chef David. And I met all three of them last week. Oh my gosh, just, I want to know every single one of you guys better. Um, I so respect what you're all doing. Um, so, but this interview was with Nick and Nick tells us all about his kind of backstory, his creativity. You guys know what we talk about. Um, yeah, I've been talking for way too long. Here comes Nick. Sometimes art feels like magic, pure, visionary. And sometimes it's brought to you in part by focus groups and algorithms. And the makers of art are no different. We're creatives, sure, but we're also salespeople. We need imagination and imitation. We need deep, meaningful connections, but we also have to network. Yep, even if you're an introvert. And that's my point. Balancing vulnerability with veneer is tricky, and it's a struggle we don't often share. So let's share. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Light and Airy Presets. Light and Airy is created by photographer and best friend team Caroline and Anna Marie, who are passionate about helping business owners feel confident about the photos we share. I've sat here in this studio with so many guests who express anxiety about social media, and I've certainly felt the same way. It's a horrible feeling to feel torn between making art that really matters to you and building skills to navigate several social media platforms. I've been using the Light and Airy mobile presets for several months now, and it's really eased my anxiety about posting regular photos. All you have to do is download the free version of the Lightroom mobile app, download the Light and Airy presets, and come away with beautifully edited photos with just one click. If Instagram scares you like it scares me, head to lightandairyphotog.com and use promo code ARTIFICE10, that's all caps A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-1-0, for 10% off your mobile presets today. Okay, that's what I thought, but I wasn't totally sure. Yeah. Nick Foss. Yeah. Okay, well that's let's let's get started. Sweet. Um, so I I'm more interested in kind of like individual people's kind of backstories and context, and I'd love to talk about the restaurant toward the end, if that's cool. So let's start at the beginning. Um the question I always ask everybody first is what were you like as a creative child? Like what was the first kind of creative stuff that you were doing as a little kid? Playing guitar. Okay. How did you get into that? Like, did you have to ask for a guitar? Was there a guitar in the house? No. Um, when I was uh, seven years old, I got a guitar from a, a family friend. And he couldn't play it anymore because his fingers were cramped oh, up. He was and having like arthritis or yeah, something. Yeah, he had like uh, hand issues and wrist issues and joint issues. So he um, just gave it to me. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and and for a long time I thought that was going to be my thing. my thing, and for a long time it was. I mean, I still play guitar today, um, not as much as I probably would like, but yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was definitely a creative piece for me for a long time. Yeah, I was in a couple bands, and you know, I was How? really into music, and I, I dropped out of business school the first time because I thought I was going to be a musician. Yeah, and, and so yeah. How old were you when you got the guitar? Seven. 
Wow. So I, you know, I, I think a lot about kind of like the origins of creativity and, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of like our backstories as creatives and which kinds of creatives we end up being. And I tend to think that like for most kind of creative children and, you know, I mean, that's a whole thing too. Like are all children creative and is it just a matter of, um, Some are able to tap into it differently. Right. And I think part of that is like your access to resources. Like, you know, so sometimes I think there are kids that are just like, they're creative and they're going to be creative. They're going to find a medium that is accessible to them. Right. But with things like music, you know, musical instruments are expensive. And if you don't have one in the house, you don't have them around, there's no way you're going to like you know, build that as a little kid. Right. Um, so I, I, that's why like, I like to start from the beginning and just kind of get an idea. Like, so you had this, this family friend that gave you the the guitar. Um, did the friend, he, he, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, did he, uh, like know that you were interested in music or like, why did he give the guitar to you? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm, I'm not really sure. I can't really remember. I I think there might've been like, a. Uh, a thing we were at mutual thing and someone had a guitar and I may have like yeah. gravitated toward it. You were it. interested in it. I was interested in it. He may have seen that and then just realized he could give yeah. it to me. Um, did you have lessons or like how did you start yeah, to I took learn? Some, I took guitar lessons when I was, my mom um, got me guitar lessons when I was probably seven or eight and I started doing that and then just, I never put it down. Yeah. Were your um, parents or like any siblings also doing music lessons, or was that? No, kind of... my sister was. Uh, my sister's a very talented artist. Okay, and Vis- so she the... she would draw even when she was five years old. We have art that she did when she wow. was a little kid that that we have framed in the house. And... So you were like the music person in the family. Kind of, yeah. I mean, my brother was into music too for a long time, but older or younger? Uh, older. older. I'm the youngest. Um, my sister's the oldest. Um, but, uh, never an instrument really. Yeah. Never. Just like, just like to listen. Right. right cool. Right. Um, how did you, what kind of music, like, did you start listening to? How did you kind of decide what your, <laughs> That's what your funny. thing was going to be? I, when I was listening to a lot of heavy metal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like my, I don't know. It was kind of the thing that I was into and, uh, that progressed over time to, jazz and r&b and blues and i have a degree in jazz studies so that's, that's awesome that's my that's my thing that's my musical that's home. awesome i love jazz yeah i mean everybody probably does if they <laughs> listen to and you know if they find the jazz that suits them fair, fair enough um so i mean how did you get into heavy metal though like and i'm asking because i i think the types of art that we gravitate toward you know especially when you're a kid it it gets so like you know, it becomes part of your identity and it's like how you introduce yourself and it's like, sure. And, and heavy metal is kind of like, uh, it probably wasn't what a lot of kids your age were listening to. So I'm I'm curious about how that kind of like affected your, not necessarily. I mean, when I was, you know, in my early teens, it was like the early nineties. So, you know, like all the grunge rock and heavier music and, Mm -hmm. I, my social circles was like my brother's friends because my brother and I are only like three years apart. Okay. So we kind of shared the same circles sometimes. And a lot of those guys were like the skater guys and yeah. they were listening to, you know, punk rock. And so it and was kind of like a peer group. Yeah. I think it was like kind of an influence, but then 
sort of that mixed with the guitar and the appreciation for music and trying yeah. to figure some of that stuff out, I guess just kind of was, it, yeah. it was my genre at so the time. So did you start um, playing in like, like, was it the kind of thing where you were like forming bands with like your peers or were you in like school band or something else? Honestly, neither one. Okay. Um, you were just playing by yourself a yeah, lot. Yeah, a lot. And okay. when I was, was probably about my junior year in high school, maybe my sophomore year in high school, uh, I had a friend, because I grew up in Southern California. Okay. I had a friend uh, who was also a mutual friend of my brother, um, but we came became closer, and he played guitar, and then we would, you know, meet up in his garage yeah. and then play acoustic guitar together and just, like, record it on a little, um, you know, radio flyer. Yeah, a little, little, thing, tape, little tape cassette recorder. <laughs> yeah. You know, and... Uh, and that's what we did for a long time. And then me and him made or created our first band. But what's interesting about that is it kind of started as like a rock band. Yeah. And then it dwarfed into this like R&B, blues, soul, jazz thing. Cool. Which was and, a lot of fun. And that was when you were still in high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right before. Well, I was starting or I was like almost finishing high school when that got created and then first years of junior college I was in that and were you guys doing writing too were you composing stuff we were I wouldn't necessarily like write it on paper yeah <laughs> so when I people mean, say write I'm like yeah, yeah kind of yeah we, we made well, songs it, <laughs> we, I think some musicians will use the word writing as like just coming up with the songs and then like notating yeah so fair enough. Maybe that can be like a vocabulary distinction <laughs> that was the one part of me that I never pursued enough with like with theory. learning guitar it was the theory and listening yeah. and reading and writing yeah and uh ultimately that's kind of what deterred me from mm. the industry. Yeah. I, you know, I, I teach a lot of young musicians and, um, I, I often say to my students, like, you know, you're fluent in music, but you're not literate, right. you know, like, and, cause exactly I want them I'm... to understand that like they do, they deserve to like speak the language and be a part of it. And like, we just need to figure out how to like, when you can write it down, then you can communicate about it with other people a lot more easily. Mm. But I, I do think that's, it's um yeah and i would play with guys that were a lot better than me and they would they would have that vocabulary and they would talk that talk and i'd be like that's really what it comes down to it's it's and it and i was gonna say a second ago like you know some of those things can get a little like elitist you know it becomes like this kind of language that Mm -hmm. like if you can't speak it with other people like with the right vocabulary you really find yourself like on the outside of it and and Mm i i'm not about that so mm-hmm. you know that's why i always tell my students like make no mistake you are fluent like you well, just that same know. exact idea and theory translates to what i do now yeah uh, do you want to say more about that now well i mean i have we have a full extensive i mean vocabulary and yeah. and and um methodology behind a lot of things that we do there and there are a lot mm-hmm. of terms that we use oh yeah a lot of expectations that we have for a certain level of skill yeah. when people come to work with us. Um, so, you know, it's the same idea. Like if you go to band practice and the guys you're playing with are better than you yeah, and you can't speak the language or you can't yeah. keep up or you can't do it, you're going to fall behind. Yeah, And it's the same thing in our kitchen or in any professional kitchen for that matter. Yeah. If you don't sort of learn that and, yeah. and digest it all and understand not just the lingo, but the 
methods and the attention to detail and yeah. all of these little things that you pick up, then then you'll fall behind. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 hard. It's a hard thing to kind of I don't know, make like value judgments about because I I get very like nervous about like losing losing talented people. Like I I get very nervous about this idea, which is why like it's part of the reason why I like to talk to people about like what was going on with you that like allowed you to stay creative into your adulthood. Um and and I think that this kind of vocabulary issue is is part of it, but it's like you need the vocabulary to be efficient and to be like effective. Um, but yeah. well, I, for me, what was life changing, honestly, and at the time I didn't know it, but it was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I had some sort of drama that happened in my life mm-hmm. um, when I was living in California, and I had to force myself to go through a lot of personal changes and yeah. sort of self exploration and. You know, my my mom was a you know Southern home cook, and when I was just as young as I was playing guitar, I was cooking. Yeah, and I was learning how to cook, and um, so it's all I think about what resonates with you yeah. and what you know. I I know I I've heard the term, for instance. You know, sometimes cooking doesn't resonate with people. Like, yeah. You know, like my girlfriend, like she, she doesn't cook. She yeah. doesn't like to cook. She doesn't like to deal with food, you know? Mm. And so it's the same kind of thing. I, it, for me, it was what sort of tapped into my soul yeah. was, was, was understanding that I was, I had always been cooking. Yeah. You had a fluency there. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was natural for me to go to culinary school. It was natural for me to make some life changes. And then once I realized that I've, had fallen in love again with something that was, was, you know, it was all for my household of food was always about like, you know, and it should always be about this, but it was about bringing people together. You know, it was about bringing the family together. It was about, um, you know, enjoying that time over the plate of food. And so for me going into this business was more about, you know, bringing people into my restaurant and giving them a good experience over, my food yeah so for me it resonates very personally mm-hmm. and i think it does with any chef or any uh culinary professional or hospitality f- professional that stays in this business and works yeah. as hard as we do you mm-hmm. know because yeah. it's it's not easy right yeah yeah let can we talk more about like just kind of your relationship to cooking and to food as a child mm-hmm. uh, maybe i just want to start with like um Am I understanding correctly that that didn't feel like creative back then? No. Like you, you were feeling like your creative energy was in music. Well, it was interesting. So like my dad, very creative person. Um, my mom, I don't know if it was creativity necessarily, but she had that skill set. Yeah. And my dad loved to cook as well. He loved fine things, French food and good wine. You and know, How like, did they start like... like- What's the kind of context of their love for food? Uh, New Orleans. Okay. And then That's you moved they, to California. Well, they moved to... So originally when they got married and before I was born, they moved to Park City. Okay. And then um, I was born about two years before we left Utah. Okay. So there was a period of time where they were here. Okay. Um, but the food 
part of the, the, the love for food and cuisine yeah. and, and, and that part of it was something that I think they shared. Um, they were always entertaining and they were always yeah. doing that kind of stuff. My dad was very much into the chef thing because at that time the French chef was a very popular thing. It was very yeah. becoming more Americanized and yeah. he kind of fell in love with French cuisine. And, <clears throat> and that's like, there's a, I mean, it, it, it's, it was definitely separate, like French and Cajun. Like that. Sure. But married together at the same time. Okay. Was, was your dad feeling like, like a love for both or like oh, for specifically sure. for okay. sure. But I think what he was, he got really into the, the, the artistic or craft element yeah. of it. And I mean, he was an architect and a developer mm-hmm. and he had a really, he could draw really, really, really well. And he was very successful at, at, at being a developer and architect. Um, but I think what his passion was, was that, that aspect of preparing a meal yeah. that, your guests can't do themselves, yeah. you know, or don't know how to do and get providing them an experience, you know, shortly mm-hmm. before he passed away, he retired and he moved to France and lived in France and went to culinary school. Wow. That's amazing. You know, so like, I love that when, when he passed and I was having some life changing moments, I was really digging into that, you know, and yeah, he died when you were younger uh, or well, he lived in France when you were younger. Well, I mean, both. like, so he died in my early twenties, okay. and shortly before that time, he was, um, or my, actually my mid to late twenties, yeah. and he was uh, living in France and and studying there, and then um, it was two thousand five when he passed away. Yeah. So. Um. Okay. Yeah, I have so many questions. I mean, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, feel we're gonna so... uncover some deep. Stuff I mean, you here. can talk like no, it's fine. I was just... I'm loving the conversation right now. Good. I, <laughs> I, I'm so fascinated with like, you know, I mean, I'm interested in a lot of things, but like one of the things is like this this creativity question. Like, how are we applying it? You know, your dad's an architect. He's already a creative person. Your mom is creating all this beautiful food, um, but like to you as a child, that feels like something different. Like that's that's like not your. It's not sparking your creative mind that you are aware of. Right. And then also I'm interested in like, you know, I think one thing that I, I always kind of come back to and, you know, it's like in the title of the podcast is that I think as artists and like professional creatives, there's such a weird mystique around what we do. Like, you know, I think when you introduce yourself to people, they're like, what, you know, like people get very like, how, and what does this mean? Um, And so I'm really interested in like, you know, from kind of the back end, like what are the stories of like, you know, culturally, what does it mean to you to be a chef and like, what does that mean? And, you know, so I think like this coming from New Orleans and, you know, like, I don't know, like there's just definitely stuff in there. So, so I, to be clear, I didn't grow up in New Orleans. Sure. But I just, I just mean the cult, like culturally, like. I'm sure like I have lots of family there and I visit there and presenting food to you in like a Southern culture kind of a way. Well, no, not more so probably to my sister. Okay. Um, because she was, my sister and I are 10 years apart. Okay. And so, um, she experienced a lot more of that sort of Mm. era of my mom and my dad when they were Entertaining. entertaining a lot and doing that. And, uh, when I, um, we moved to Irvine, California when I was like two or two and a half um 
shortly after that period of time, they got separated okay. and I live with my mom Okay. and my sister and my brother live with my dad and it kind of fluctuated over time through a lot of different moving. But anyway, um, I think to a certain degree, I, I, I tapped into a lot of different things. Yeah. Like I was in sports for a while. I, I uh, played the guitar. I drew, drew a little bit, but that wasn't really something that I, yeah. I enjoyed. I, I like to write sometimes. And, what kind and, of stuff did you write? Um, just m- more like personal, just journal entering yeah. or just like writing essays. short stories. Yeah. Or I, I, I didn't mind research projects in school. Like yeah. I liked that kind of stuff. Same. Um, but, but there was nothing that was like feeding my soul necessarily during mm. that time. I think I dabbled in a lot of different things. Um, also, always, I felt like through through most of my life that the guitar was my my medium. Your thing, yeah. you know, and um, and I I I don't feel like that anymore. Yeah, I feel like when I my early thirties when I decided to pursue this career professionally, I realized that this is something that feeds my. Yeah. It not only feeds my nutrition, but it feeds my soul. Does it feel different from how like guitar used to feel? Or do you feel like it, it was like the same feeling, but it moved to a new medium? Yeah. Well, I, I feel a lot more, um, confident in my ability in, in cooking than I do with an instrument. Um, so I think that that gives me a lot more, um, it opens my range, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, yeah. I can I can do a lot of things and it allows me to be creative in a lot of different ways. Yeah, you can like realize that creativity mm-hmm. more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I just maybe have like one more question about like kind of your childhood. Because again, like I think most children are creative. There is maybe something a little different between like, you know, these children who just like are so hungry for mm-hmm. like... Um, and then I, I think a lot, like I said before, about like, what happens to these people? <laughs> like, right. What happens to it? Right. I'm, I'm, obs- I'm obsessed with this question. So, um, anyway, hence, yeah, no, it's hence all of it, but, uh, but, uh, like, it sounds to me like, you know, you're this very exploratory child. You're doing a lot of stuff. You're kind of trying a lot of things. Um, was that something that like, as a child, you felt aware of, like, I'm, I'm a child who like is creative or like, or was it just kind of, you were no. just moving through it? No, I mean, I mean, as I grew older, I thought that my 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 life was going to be, you know, determined by sitting behind a desk. And yeah, I was going to go for the business degree, and I got that degree. And yeah, I and then I, at the end of that, I was just like, okay, what now? Yeah, you felt kind of like that empty thing. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about like this transition into like college because I think that's a place where we lose a lot of creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of teenagers, I think, are doing a lot of creative stuff in school or with their friends or even just like, you know, with their clothing, you know, like there's right. a lot. I mean, teenagers are exploring. Right. And then when they when they kind of get to that point where they're, you know, making a decision about where to go to college, what to study in college, whether just to start working somewhere, a lot of that creative exploration, I think, for a lot of people falls away. So what was yeah. kind of going on? Like, what's, what's the story of like how you decided like what to study and where to go and in kind of those 18, 19, 20 years? Hmm. 
Well, like I said, my original goal during that time was I was going to be a musician. So I went to music school. Okay. You did go to music school. Well, not, I went to the, I got into the music program at the, the JCC that I was going to. Right. So okay, I went into that and I got, I had, I felt at that time I had a decent amount of knowledge or skill, skill yeah. and I was quickly brought to reality, mm. like quickly brought to reality where I was just like, I am way behind the game here. How did that feel to it you? It felt terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It felt terrible. Um, and so I think that it was extremely discouraging yeah. and I got to, I was like, well, I'm just going to get the business degree Yeah. because my dad, not that he was not supportive in anything I wanted to do in my life. Mm -hmm. He would always say that, like, no matter what you do, just be happy. And actually he used to say, no matter matter what you do in life, no matter how much money you make, but just be of service to somebody other than yourself. Mm -hmm. And that was like his mantra. So that could apply to a numerous amount of things. Right. So I mean, you could probably apply it to anything. Really? You could. Right. So, um, so I was just like, well, just go get the business degree. So, um, yeah, I think. And that derailed a lot. I didn't, that derailed a lot of my guitar lot, playing. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it derailed of course it did. a yeah. lot of different things and probably not terribly aware of it either. Like, yeah. you know, and I just. It's so sad. I right. mean, I, I see this happen to young people all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I'm, I'm teaching that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, that's why, like, I think, you know, how. I'm, how can we, like, how can we do better to like, you know, give people, um, you know, different ways to be creative or different ways to like empower that creativity. Even if like you're, you know, you're on the outs in terms of the vocabulary or something like that. Um, well, honestly, like, you know, even just the word creativity, it was not like something that was, you know, be creative. I wasn't hearing that, like be creative, tap into your you know, all of these things or even that what you're doing is creative and, yeah. or, you know, and so it, and <laughs> I don't know, when I was growing up, it was kind of like, you know, you got to do the thing that's going to make you the most money, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was, that was like the thing that you heard, yeah. you know, and it wasn't like express yourself and, right. you know, it wasn't in the value system, really be happy and yeah. find the thing that nurtures your soul. Yeah. And, you know, even if it doesn't make you rich, being happy is more important. And that wasn't the the message yeah. that I was hearing. Yeah, it was like you gotta you gotta get ahead. Yeah, but you still made the decision to start off like in the music program, which like right that I I feel like for most kids who make a decision to like declare a major in the arts, that means something. Like there's some kind of like well, and that's the thing too. Like I didn't we didn't have a lot of money to afford a good school and i um didn't really know what i wanted to do yeah. i was very unsure yeah and so it was hard most 18 year olds you know right, like <laughs> right you know that- and and so i decided to to go to junior college in part to try and figure that out right and i think that that kind of discouraging first semester was something that was very kind of just didn't make me do a 180 with yeah. that whole idea where I was just like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to business yeah. school. Yeah. Cause I don't know what else I'm not, I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to be a, yeah. you know, I don't know. I didn't want to do liberal arts. I just yeah. wanted to. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts job? like kind of in retrospect about like, 
I mean, do you, ha, do you think about like what we can do to like not do that to to young people? Well, I mean, if if people are open about it and they are enough self awareness to be able to say like, I really want to do this, but I'm very discouraged. Yeah. So that the person that is in a position to help that person can be aware of that. Totally. You know? Well, and I think vice versa too. Like I'd love to see more teachers, um, and mentor types, you know, whatever like Mm -hmm. the, the institution is, but I'd love to see more older people saying like, okay, what is this about for you? Like, are you, are you, are you here? Because like you have this creative thing. I'm sure we can find a way to like, you know, repurpose that even in this field, but like in a way that doesn't need you to like, you know, have all this theory or like that gives you a little bit more time to figure out this theory. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I'd like to see more people on, on either end, the student and the teacher kind of just saying like, all right, this is what the problem is. The problem isn't you. The problem is like, this institution has to like have some kind of a code and that's theory and right. you're behind. Right. So it's hard for us to think of a way to fit you in without that theory. But like if you had had an idea at that age that like the theory was the thing well, that might've felt different, but I, mean, I, I can, I can say this if I was just to say like shift gears and apply it to culinary school, I'm sure you're going to ask about oh, that yeah, time. Sh- sure. But so that was my second time at college. Yeah. I had gotten a business degree. I had gone through this period where I was self-analyzing myself and realized that I was just going to strip it all away and I was going to start all over again. And I went to culinary school. In this business, and I'm sure it's very applicable to anybody who is a small business or owns a business mm-hmm. of any kind. Um, you know, my job as a chef now is to educate the people that work for me mm-hmm. is to to develop them and yeah. to inspire them and to mentor them and yeah. to make them better mm-hmm. now there's a certain degree of it's kind of on the person mm-hmm. you know the person has to at some point i say this sometimes in the kitchen like sometimes you have to sink or swim yeah. You know, and sometimes you got to sink a little bit before you can swim. Right. And and so there is a certain degree where you have to take control of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. And so for me like I didn't feel like at the time when I was playing guitar and that was going to be my pursuit of happiness. I didn't have the ability to take control of that. Yeah. Like I, I wasn't you didn't have the resources. Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't have the knowledge or the know-how or the skill set, you know, like if if I had a music instructor or somebody that's to say to me, okay, we're going to, we're going to strip all this away and we're going to make it simplified for you, you know, and we're going to work on these things and maybe you're going to be a little bit hot behind for a little bit longer, but we're going to get you up. You know, if there was somebody that was that in my life that for that particular time in my life, Mm -hmm. if they were more inspirational, then I might've stayed with it. Right. I I don't know for sure, but um, I had numerous, numerous chefs and mentors throughout my time cooking professionally, not only in school, but outside of school yeah. that would send that message. Were those people for you? Yeah. yeah. And even when I worked in, awesome. in my first, you know, I worked for Starbucks for a long time. That was like my early career, really. It, and before you were a chef, when you were in business still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And uh, I had two very impactful mentors in my life uh, during that time. And they were of the same mindset. You yeah. Know? And part of that, I think, is crossed over a lot between the type of people they were, but it is the service industry, even yeah. though it's Starbucks. You yeah. Know, and, and, but it, it, and so a lot of that same sort of message and inspirational sort of mentorship yeah. um, was very impactful for me. It's so important. Yeah. I feel so like... I mean, and and I find over and over again when I have conversations with, you know, professional creatives who've who've made it to a place where they can say I'm a professional creative, you know, professional artist, whatever our mediums are, we have those people. Sure, you know, it's interesting because I I was kind of talking about this with my girlfriend last night, but you know, there's this perception that because I have a restaurant and because we're moderately successful and we have a good reputation and we do good things that we've made it Mm. and i don't think for one minute that i've made it yeah and i'm i i I want like anybody who is a creative person that listens to this and thinks that they've made it they're wrong i mean it's a constant it's never ending yeah it's never ending and and you work longer hours than anybody else does. Yeah. You work harder than anybody else does. And it's mentally draining. It's exhausting. It's yeah. and it's very and that there's a there's there's an element of that that you either love or mm-hmm. you hate. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so to a certain degree, you know, there's a chef that writes about this, but you know, and to a certain degree we're a little bit sick in the sense yeah. that we <laughs> like yeah. that kind of chaos chaos yeah you know totally well that's i mean <laughs> it's that creative like you need a lot i mean i think like that's i relate to that too yeah like if things are too uh you know stable or streamlined i get a little antsy <laughs> like well i mean I you new, know i need we, a new thing that you know so we can touch on a lot. I'm not sure if you're going to ask about where we're at now, but anyway, I definitely want to, but you can talk about it now. The, the, the thing is, is that we, there's, so there's just not just me. There's, there's two other chefs that I couldn't do this without. Yeah. Um, but the three of us have always been friends and we worked together in a lot of different places and we were working at a restaurant or in a resort that we helped, uh, open that we were, you know, cooking in a really reputable place and cooking with very talented people and we were miserable. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you're doing the same thing on repeat every single day. There's no change. There's no like resources where like everybody's collaborating and having some kind of creative engine going. So a lot of it was we kind of reached a point in our careers where we were very like just unhappy. Yeah. And so we wanted to pursue cooking professionally. We wanted to do something, but we had to figure out a way to create our own. Totally. And because anybody that's creative that is being creative for someone else ultimately is going to lose it because you, it's a thing that's personal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I th- Sorry, go ahead. But well, I'm just, just, that's why we change the menu as often as we yeah. do. I mean, we're in the, almost the 100th edition of our menu yeah. and we're three years in. Some people only change four times a year yeah. where we can't, I, I go two weeks with a dish and then we're like, I can't, which 
Get totally. it all, go away. I, you know, I super want to talk about this because when I was, <laughs> when I was reading about your restaurant and it, it's clear, like, okay, so I'm having a couple of thoughts. One thought is like, you know, when you're, when you're creative, you have like your creative skill sets, you've like your skills and then you have like your projects. And for sure. me, like the projects are where the real creative stuff is happening. Like sure. your skill is a creative skill, but it's not actively creative unless you're applying it to new projects. And I, yeah, I see we got a lot that of projects. being like a value that you guys definitely have. Well, so the the thing about, uh, so we, we have an onsite culinary garden. Yeah. So we have a gardener that works for me. Yeah. Um, I, that's and, so, it's so creative. I right. mean, that I have to imagine that like, I mean, it just like must like, excite a totally different part of your brain and then it's th changing well, especially how you're, this time of year too. yeah it's changing how you're thinking about what ingredients you have and what you're making and your menus and it's yeah, very exciting I, you know you see a lot of great chefs or even just new restaurants opening where they're they're inviting that that idea into yeah. the place because you do get very bored and you need a you need a source yeah. you know of something that you can draw on mm -hmm. you know it's literally um, like alive and changing and right so we um so we have the culinary garden um and uh, a, a lot of the thought behind the garden was is that obviously it can't sustain what we need year round um, but what it can do is provide us with an ability to preserve things. Mm. Uh, so we grow like our second season, we grew 300 pounds of tomatoes. We preserved a lot of those and that yeah. doesn't even include the tomatoes that were green. This year we grew or harvested, I think it was like 60 or 80 pounds of red currants. Wow. So we preserve these things yeah. through the winter and even years now um, so that we have interesting things to put on our menu in the wintertime when you can't yeah. get fresh produce. Right. So um, that's a big piece of it. But it also was to draw that con that connection, not only for our diners, but for the people that worked in the building um, that, you know, we are very much connected to what we're actually putting on the plate and serving and giving our guests. Right. And we want people people to feel that when they eat at our restaurant. Yeah. That's so, amazing. You know, we, we, all the flowers that we put in the restaurant are from our flower garden. Yeah. You know, all of the, we, we dry all the lavender from this sort of thing I have around the kitchen that's yeah. called a veil. And, you know, everybody sees that. We dry flowers downstairs yeah. in our restrooms and we try to make, oh gosh, even I though, love it so much. even though you might not think of that, like, uh, uh, like, it is creative, but totally. I don't, I don't, I don't, it's something yeah. that we just do because we feel I, yeah. like it's right. I, I, <laughs> I, I feel like the way that I'm a creative is like similar. Like I, I feel like a, a meeting of the minds about that. Like right. even just looking at your website, I'm just thinking like, these are the, my kind of people, right? <laughs> like that kind of like multi-purpose, like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and, and the way that I, the way that I personally like conceptualize some of these things is like, you know, like I said before, I have like my projects right. and then I'm always thinking like, how do my projects like relate? How could they help each other? And I, mm -hmm. I can almost just like see it. Like you have like your garden, you have like, then like the things from the garden you ferment, the mm -hmm. things from the garden that you age mm -hmm. or that you can, mm -hmm. um, it's all are dry and it's all these different mm -hmm. like projects and then like, mm -hmm. how do we like create menus with like, and how do we decorate with these things? Mm -hmm. And like, it's just this 
like whole. Right. It's a cycle. I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, we compost everything from, from the kitchen and that gets into our soil. Makes me get that, like that feeling. (laughs) Makes me get that like little. Yeah. So there was a, there was a sort of a turning point in my career as a chef or even as a cook, really at that time I consider my, myself a cook. Um, but I worked for uh, a woman by the name of M- Melissa Kelly, and uh, she has a, a restaurant in uh, Rockland, Maine. Okay. And uh, it's uh, called Primo, and that was the name of her, I believe her grandfather or her uncle. Um, but it's on a four-acre farm. Wow. And, uh, you know, she raises her own chickens and her own pigs, and she grows everything she can possibly think of. And I really learned there that, food and hospitality and service it's one piece yeah cooking responsibly and running a sustainable business and um teaching that to your staff Mm. um is was the other piece yeah and your value system more than the what i learned how to do as a cook there or what i learned how to clean there or how i how I learned to work harder than I ever have in my life there. Those were all side pieces, yeah. bonuses almost. Yeah. The main thing I took away from there was that, you know, if you're going to be a chef and you're going to be a good one and you want to be in this business for a long time, then you have to respect what you do. You have to respect your ingredients mm-hmm. and you have to respect what you're doing to the earth mm-hmm. and what you're doing to the environment. Yeah. Because there's, there's, so that was very impactful for me. And so when we opened this restaurant, I was like, we have to have a garden. We have to compost. We have to try and be, we have to recycle. Yeah. We have to separate our, you know, so there's all these things that we do that work together. Yeah. Um, not just for sustainability, but because it's the right thing to yeah. do. You know, so it's not, we don't feel right like cooking out of season. You know, yeah. we don't, we don't feel right um, serving something to our guests that, we haven't tasted a million times and think yeah. it's delicious. So it's like that same yeah. thing. Well, and I imagine too, like when you have that, va- those values and that value system that you, that, you know, everything is kind of coming out of that, that also like gives you kind of uh, creative limitations that, um, that make your ch- creative choices more unique and sure. more interesting. Sure. Um, when, when you're having to like problem solve, around like you know specific constraints you you know even when those constraints are like you choose them and you love them and they're like Mm -hmm. your you know your kind of your mission uh that also like it forces you to kind of like you know get your like neural pathways going in like Mm -hmm. new ways which is well and that's one thing too with you know that's that there's a lot of cooking that is very remedial and that is very uh, repetitious and it's a lot of the same mm-hmm. thing over and over and over again. So like a lot of the things that I do can, n- not a lot, but some of the things that I do can be that way. For instance, like I make the butter in the restaurant. Mm. So uh, we serve our house-made butter with our bread service. The way I, in which I do that and how and the end result that happens can vary slightly but ultimately it's the same thing that i do every single week so that piece of cooking can be very hard but that's the only way you get better at these at the things you know um but 
once you get to a certain point in your career, you, and I'm sure it's the same thing with someone that makes clothes or someone that draws or someone that mm-hmm. plays music. Once you get to a certain level of your talent or your capability, it opens a huge window mm-hmm. of opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we do all kinds of things. I mean, we make kombucha, we do our own charcuteries, um, we do uh, aging, pickling, fermenting, um, we do all kinds of drying, all kinds of things that um, sort of open up new doors for us. Um, But at the same time, we have in our kitchen, we have a library. So, you know, we're very humbled in the sense where we feel like we have to keep trying to learn every day because we're not as good as we think we are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we try to, at least, I, I I don't speak for Mike and Dave, but, I, I have feeling they feel the same way. Like you have to stay humble. You have it's to very, stay in a, in a state yeah. where you're like, you're hungry. And yeah, yeah. You have to. Well, it's very boring to think that you've done it. It's yeah. very, very We're, boring. Right. Yeah. On the outside, people think that we've achieved this yeah. greatness, but really in our personal space, in my brain, I'm like, man, I am so, what else can I do? Not only that though, like I, I, I have to do more, yeah. you know, this isn't enough, you know, I feel the same way. And I, I can tell like, you know, I, I love sitting like right in that place where like, I'm excited about new projects and I'm learning so much. I'm like figuring out new stuff. And as soon as it like tips over into being like something that I feel like I've mastered that thing or like I'm comfortable mm-hmm. in it, I start getting this kind of like mm-hmm. gross feeling where mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I need to be back in that like learning, stretching you know, I, I, and I, I can, I feel like you guys are having some, some version of that. It just seems like you're kind of always staying on the edge of like, what new stuff can we try? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. because it's awesome. it, 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 it's just, honestly, it's so built into like our fabric as, as chefs that it, it like, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. And it's awesome. And you, you can't, you can't, we do weird things and we talk to our guests about these weird things that we do and people go, what the, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> and, and so yeah, that's, that's what's it's fun to like us. who you are. Yeah. yeah. I, I totally, I get it. I mean, I, I get my version of it, which right. is, no. I think it's in this, it's in the same family I of agree. a feeling. I agree. Um, I would like to just, uh, I I think, you know, so it's it's such a, a common thing that we lose these 18-year-old creatives who declare right. a major and then they're like, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I think it's kind of rare that someone like has this resurgence like you have. I think mm. usually when that first thing happens to people, they go in business and they stay in a cubicle. And then, you know, I teach, so I teach a lot of teenagers and I also teach a lot of like middle-aged people who have disposable income for the first time in their life. And they come to me with these horrible stories of like, Mm -hmm. this was something I used to do Mm -hmm. and I want to like reconnect with it now. Mm -hmm. It breaks my heart, you know, which is Mm -hmm. again, why I just, I'm obsessed with this idea of like, how do we avoid this? Right. So what happened that gave you kind of the courage or, or whatever? Like, can you tell the story of how you like, you know, found yourself back in a creative profession again or whatever you think is, um, valuable to share about like that time between like feeling discouraged and kind of heartbroken about, you know, losing your, uh, the path that you thought you were on with guitar. 
um, and and to, you know, I think finding your place a, a again. large degree of it was the the passing of my father. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, like I said, I went through some kind of life changing event as a definitely if you want to just point to a trauma i had kind of a life-changing event i'd rather not talk about it on the it's, podcast but yeah, it's okay it's totally fine like it was great but that moment in my life forced me to take a look at myself you were in your like mid-20s um yeah i was probably about 28 okay 27 yeah um and it forced me to take a step back and be like what is nick all about mm. You know, like what, 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 do, what do I like to, what is, what do I, what do I do? Yeah. You know, and I can point back to one specific conversation I had with the guy I mentioned, er, I mentioned earlier, the two mentors Dude, when I was at Starbucks. Starbucks. Yeah. Um, one of his, uh, one of them, uh, his name is Lex. He, um, we're still really great friends today. Um, probably always will be, but he it was just like, dude, it's obvious you gotta cook. Yeah. You know? Wow. How did he know? I mean, well, so there, so <laughs> there's a lot of backstory. Um, my dad was a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. My mom is today sober. I think twenty. She just celebrated twenty years, um, or more than that, actually. Um, That's awesome. Uh, so Lex, um, when I met him, he was newly sober. Okay. And so, like that common thread that we have, we had was. The, our family and the, the connection to the program. Okay. Um, so when, uh, and, and he, um, a, a large part of his time in addiction was spent in New York and he was living in New York and, uh, cooking there and okay. being, was a chef. Well, not a chef, but he was a cook. Okay. Um, and he's a really good cook today still. Um, but he and I would talk about food a lot. And this is before my dad died and, and he had met my dad. And, you know, so there was, we'd always talk about food. Um, mm. And, I, and sometimes I would ask him, like, how do you make this? And he would like, this is what you do, wow. you know. And yeah. so when I was going and he and I were very close and he knew about the trauma that I was going through. And he knew about kind of where I was at my life point and um, it and he was just like, you gotta go, you gotta go cook, you gotta go to culinary school. Yeah. It just like was clear that you had like joy there. Yeah. Well, for yeah. him, it was, I think maybe it was some kind of like, uh, you know, uh, self-fulfilling selfishness. Like he was, yeah. <laughs> you know, he wished he could have been me in my yeah. shoes and gone and done that yeah. to, to a large degree. But I think he understood me enough yeah. and differently than maybe I even understood myself. Yeah. And, um, interesting. Yeah. And, uh, he was just got, you gotta go to culinary school. And, and he knew your dad was in culinary at the time yeah, yeah he knew we had done that and whole thing he was thing. in france so i mean he kind of knew it was like he drew all the connections yeah you know uh, without me being able to yeah and that's uh really, that's cool and uh so he had a uh a mutual friend a chef that he used to work for uh her name's chef anita eisenhower and she's amazing but she used to be the chef at a restaurant he worked at and now she's an instructor at the culinary institute of america cool and uh he was like you gotta talk to her i'll reach out and he made the connection and um, I went through the application process and got wow. accepted. Where is that? In New York. Okay. Um, it's Hyde Park, New York. So it's upstate New York. It's like okay. two hours 
north of the city. And you, where were you living at that time? Like before, were you already in New York? No. Uh, so I was sort of couch sleeping, you know, uh, renting my sister's couch, so to speak, couch, in, in yeah. Utah. They were living in the in, okay. in the avenues. I had visited my brother in Hawaii, and then I was actually in Mississippi visiting my mom. Um, and that's kind of when I had that moment when I was mm-hmm. in Mississippi with her. Because that, a lot of conversations with her during that time where I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do, yeah. you know, where I want to go, what's up. What's, I like what's, to ask people about their ages with these things. Because mm-hmm. like, 20, as much as... 28. Yeah, I had kind of a... My my mom died when I was 29. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's a... It's, there's like things that happen when we're like 18. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's in your brain, you know, it's in your like, it's like human development. And I think a lot... It, I think a lot of us have like a thing, mm-hmm. you know, like some kind of a, like if, if you haven't, if you haven't set yourself on a sustainable path in your early twenties, like there's kind of this reckoning in your late twenties maybe where like, for you, sure you need to, you know, so that's why I sometimes I'm curious, like when these, like at what time in our lives, these kind of like big things are happening. Definitely before I was 30. Yeah. And, you know, for the last 11 years, well, not 12 years, I know I haven't ever doubted it. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, so you moved to New York. Yeah. So I moved to New York um, to go to culinary school and um, had a very, you know, very serious approach to things. You know, I was going to go in there. I was, you know, om- you know, almost 30. Most of the guys were 18, yeah. 19, 20, first time in college. Um, and I just had a different mindset about it, but I met, you know, through the whole experience of that school, which for me was two years, cause you can go two or four, um, four is like the, the hospitality management degree mm-hmm. was like the business side of things, which I didn't want to do cause yeah. I'd already done that. So right. I just went to the culinary aspect of it. They've since changed the program. So it's a little bit different. However, um, when I was there, um, you get into groups of people. And so, and then you stay with that group of person or those group of people throughout all your classes because mm-hmm. every three weeks you're in a new curriculum with a new cuisine okay, and a new chef and a new system and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so Mike and David and I were in this same group. Wow. And I, I'll never forget the first time I met David. I, I, <laughs> if you would have told me now, or told me then that me and him would go into business and open a restaurant together. Yeah. I would have laughed in your face, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, but you didn't have like that chemistry right away. No, we were, I, he were like oil and water. Sometimes I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like him. I didn't, yeah. you know, and, and even today we butt head sometimes, but like we are, it's different. I didn't even know how to explain it. We worked, not only throughout all culinary school together and we're in the same classes, but after that we stayed in New York and we worked together in some restaurants. Um, and, and we just developed a bond. Um, and then the bond between Mike and Dave was stronger. They were closer friends. And then David and I, or I'm sorry, Mark, Mike and I started working together, um, when we all moved to Virginia. So after culinary school, after culinary school, we moved to Virginia and the three of us were working, um, in that resort that I mentioned. 
that got terrible after time and it's about a little over a year um and then we were all roommates and we were all just like okay well, what are we gonna do yeah and i had a realtor friend from family friend uh in utah who knew i went to culinary school and she would hit me up every now and then and be like hey i got this property i yeah. got this place you gotta take a look at that's awesome it'd be perfect for a restaurant and i was like you're crazy i'm not opening a restaurant yeah and um we decided to somehow we were sitting around the table and we were just hey i got this chance and yeah. In Utah, I don't know anything about it. I yeah. haven't seen the building. I don't know where it is. Yeah. I don't know. Anything. Yeah. I have no no knowledge, but yeah. I know we can go out there and try and do some private chef work over the winter because yeah. we're moving there in the winter time. And neither of them had ever lived in Utah before. You had the Utah connection. Neither, neither of them even stepped foot in Utah. Okay. Yeah. How did they feel about coming here? I think that they were excited because I think to a certain degree they were kind of burnt out with yeah. where they were living. And, it, you know, when you're, they were in their early 20s at that point. So they were like excited about doing something kind of different and getting yeah. out of town and figuring it out. Ultimately, I think both of them have fallen in love with Utah, but yeah. it was a very unsuspecting place yeah. to choose to try and do what we do. Right. Um, and to, to some degree, people still are kind of, kind of confused about what it is that we do. Yeah. But when we came out here, um, I was very unsure about the building because the building, I mean, I loved it. It was beautiful, um, but it had no infrastructure. Mm. There was no power, water, gas, or electricity. The parking lot was a dirt pile, and there was all kinds of things that needed to be done. Yeah. And it was going to be very expensive. Yeah. And um, so I we what we decided to start doing initially was um, we kind of developed this sort of makeshift business model called Red Kitchen. Uh, the word red playing on the idea of redefining or, you mm. know, a, re, a redefined sort of experience. Yeah. Um, which kind of was floppy branding, but we did um, pop-ups. Okay. So we would organize events um where, uh, and so to back up a little bit, I had a mutual friend out here, a family friend who uh, had an event space that, that in a kitchen. Okay. And she would allow us to do these pop-ups in there. So we started doing uh, ticket only sale pop-ups f- to friends and family and people that we could just t- pitch it to, uh, to get t- 12 to 15 people around a table and we would do a dinner for them. Wow. And we would do everything from service to wine to non-alcoholic drinks to the all the food the table setting the music everything yeah um we'd bring in nobody to help us wow. that's awesome and uh also very creative you know super like, creative yeah. during that time it was super creative we, we had a garden we were picking stuff off the garden to do the table setting yeah. and we were already doing what we're doing now in the yeah. restaurant, but like in a different way yeah. and, and sort of exp- all those pieces kind of, and during that time we were exploring yeah. like what we, I love it. what we want to do and mm-hmm. how we can do it. And, um, so we used to call those events table X. And okay. so the idea behind it being, uh, and it not necessarily, you know, the X can play on a lot of different things like, um, you know, like a secret, or right. you can play on um, a different experience or yeah. um, uh, something that is 
variable maybe variable you know unknown yeah you know and so uh but it was also a play on a sort of inside knowledge that every restaurant every good restaurant has a table zero or table x or a table one or a table 100 or they're they have a term for it and every everybody's different um but that's like the chef's table or okay. like the the special table, mm. and so we, when we were going through the branding of the restaurant, the idea was to make it open, so you see the kitchen, you see everything that's going on, and every table is kind of treated like a chef's every table. Every table is table X, right? I exactly. love that. So yeah. um, it's not table ten for anybody that's confused about that. Yeah, uh, it's table X, um, and we are not related to Par X. Um, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, um, but yeah, so that was kind of uh, also a very creative way of looking at your name and your branding and how yeah. you're tying that together. But those pop-ups allowed me to um, convince the landowner that he wanted to take a chance on us. Wow. It allowed me to find my investor yeah, um, who's with us now helping us. And so uh, it, it opened... Once they, once the landowner came and ate with us and said, you know what, we're going to do everything we can in our power to help you be successful yeah. because um, this is the best meal I ever had in my life. Yeah. I was like, okay, let's do it. You know, yeah. that's when I was like, we can make this happen. Yeah. You know, and so, yeah. I love it so much. And even just what you're saying about like the branding and like just thinking about like, I mean, again, it's like, it's so clear that you like practice what you preach with this stuff of like this kind of like, uh, I don't know what to call it, like this full scale creative, like every mm-hmm. you're in every piece and every piece is like sustainably. Well, a lot of it is control, <laughs> you know. I relate to that. People that are well. extremely yeah. creative probably have very bad control Some, issues. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> I definitely I, I, do. A I bit. don't. I don't want to say it's like I. I think like I can do. For me, like, and and that's been a very challenging thing um, over the last three years is to let go of some of that yeah. and, 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 and that's kind of like what I'm trying to do now mm-hmm. mostly is to sort of separate myself a little bit because we want, we're in a position now our, we're almost three years old and we want to begin to grow. Yeah. And, um, there we have a couple opportunities on the table that we might be able to grow a little bit and do some different things, not necessarily opening more locations, but growing within our building and within our system. Yeah. And, more projects, uh, more projects, yeah. a lot of more projects. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of the one that's sort of starting to separate myself from that kitchen hustle to, mm. to hustling the restaurant a little bit more mm-hmm. and, and having to instill a lot of trust in, um, new cooks or, yeah. you know, anybody else to take over the responsibilities that I do. Yeah. Um, so that's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a very important, not just from a business perspective, but, but also for someone that feeds their own creativity. Like I am opening a new opportunity for myself right. to have a new avenue of creativity. Right. So, and others too, yeah. or people that are already there. So, yeah. Well, and I imagine that's, it's a bit of a leap of faith to like trust that like other people will hold those values as you do. But I'm sure that like, when you see that happening, that will feel so good. Yeah. Well, and I think, 
you know, with any business or with anything that you do, if you want to get people to help you do it, they have to be bought into what you're doing, yeah, right? They have to be, vision. they have to share your vision. Yeah. They have to understand what you're doing. So we try to spend a great deal of time with our staff, educating them on what we do, because it's, it's, it's not so just, important. yeah, it's so important. It's I've, not just yeah. about coming in here, clocking in, and you serve a couple of tables and you walk home. Yeah. It, that's such a little small piece of it. Yeah, I relate to that. I mean, I, I want to ask you about like the culture of the city and like maybe talk about that a minute because I also, you know, I'm, we're in different mediums, but, um, but, but both here. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that like, I, I run like a, a couple of different bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes I'm in, I'm part of the band and sometimes I'm just, sending a band, you know, to an event. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, I really relate to what you're saying about kind of like these values and it's so much more than just like executing the event or executing the menu or whatever it is you're doing. Oh yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> we did it, a we did a, an event on, well, actually, uh, Saturday night we did a wine dinner. We brought a winemaker from Spain. It was ticket wow. only. Um, we had a Spanish wine tasting and a uh, five course tasting menu. Wow. It was all themed from our garden, totally different menu. And what the guest sees of that time is only a tiny little fraction of the work that went into executing that event. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we, we worked on that for weeks. Yeah. And by the time four o'clock hit on Saturday, we were so re- ready that doing the actual event was, it, it didn't even seem like yeah. it was hard. Right. You know, because you've and, been doing uh, this prep for hours and hours and hours and weeks right. and days yeah. and months. And, and, the, and not just that, the mental process, I mean, how we're going to pair the wines or how we're going to do the wine right. service or who's going to take what tables and all of these things that play together. Um, and, and that is the, pro- the, the process that, everybody goes through that's creative yeah that nobody sees right okay this is a perfect segue into so like i like to talk with people about their kind of creative origins and we Mm -hmm. did that and then i like to talk with people about like their their business which we've we've done a lot of that (laughs) i think they're probably so much more um but but the podcast is called artifice because you know i think people get creeped out by this word sometimes partly i just like it because it has the word art in it but i um, I had i had to google it yeah so it's like the noun version of like or like artificial or like the adjective you know it's kind of it's related to this word artificial it it has a different connotation there's a deceiving element to the sure i mean it i think it depends on like you know perception but yes so i think people get creeped out by it because we love authenticity um but you know whether whether or not you mean to, your consumers have a little bit of that deception because they don't get to hear about all this other stuff you're doing. Right. That So that's more kind of like, I mean, part like I said, I partly just like the word because it has art at the beginning of it. But also I really think like as creatives, we are doing so much more than ever like gets consumed, you know, like. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, there's, there's lots, I mean, there's, lots of things that we've made in the restaurant that yeah like I, I think i was just having this conversation the other day with somebody and i was just like do you know any times i have an idea in my head and i know i can do it and i'll do it and it sucks or like you know i'm not gonna serve that yeah. i mean it happens constantly yeah we yeah. do that kind of stuff all the time and 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 
that's just part of it. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, the bread we make every single day in the restaurant takes 28 hours essentially wow. to make. Yeah. It's, there's no mixer involved. Yeah. It's done by hand. So, so like people love that bread yeah, and they come for the bread and they order the bread and they buy the bread, but they have no perception, no, no of, perception of the fact that we started working on the bread you're eating today, almost two days ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and of course, like none of that is like an intentional, like deception is a strong word and mm-hmm. has like, but there, I mean, it's a miss perception mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. like and i think in in any kind of art um and so i love to ask people about that stuff and and maybe like the, specifically i'd like to ask you like um how um i'd like to ask people about like their identity and how their kind of identity like intersects with and interacts with like the products mm-hmm. um you know the service that they're offering and um so, I mean, I don't know that I want to ask a specific question, but like, what are your thoughts about that stuff? Like what's seen, what's not seen, um, which parts of you, like you want, you want in your, in the, the consumable products, um, which parts of you like are separate or if any, or like just what, what are, what's like on your mind about that stuff lately? Hmm. Really interesting question. Um, well, I mean, I think for the restaurant, piece specifically to the restaurant and the experience people have in our restaurant. Um, I want them to see everything. Yeah. I want, I I want them to see everything they can. I want them to see the chef get angry. I want him to see them working together. And, you know, a lot of times we, we have people, so we have a four top chef's counter that sits right over the kitchens or can we call it the counter? It's like a bar area where people, it's not a bar, but we, it's just a normal table. Yeah. But it overlooks the kitchen directly, you know, and yeah. um, you see everything. Yeah. You see if they're washing their hands, you see if the place is clean and yeah. organized, you see them um, um, really busy, you see them really slow, you see yeah. how, you see all of their interactions. And, you know, many, many guests will say, you know, uh, we have a really, you know, we respect how you guys work, yeah. you know, or we respect that, you know, uh, you know how hard you guys are mm. working like people sometimes will wait longer than they have to but like they see what it's, it's yeah. open there's no there's right. nothing there's no hiding it you know right. um so from that standpoint um i want people to see everything yeah um it it makes to a certain degree it makes my skin crawl yeah. a little bit when guests come into the restaurant when we're not open and you know, sometimes we play music in the kitchen and yeah. like we'll have music on and somebody just wants to come in and buy a gift card yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. you know, the broom is out or, you know, the yeah. kitchen is as, as tidy as it could be. So yeah, there's a certain element of it, like from a guest's experience that I don't want yeah, them to see. it's a little vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, it's a little vulnerable. But I think people do like to see that. I think so too. I think that's... people like to see the process. Yeah. And I think that that's what's more interesting to them Mm -hmm. versus the final product. Although that is what they consume and that's the, the sort of impact of that experience. But I think people definitely want to see the action. They want to see the hard parts, the fun parts, the easy parts, the challenges, you know, a lot of times they see me washing dishes, Yeah, you know, and then I'll come out and I'll serve their food 
you know, yeah. or, and so they see how much pride and energy and effort we're putting into this yeah. thing that we've created. I love that. You I know? mean, I feel like that's what I'm trying to do. Like, you know, people ask people, people ask artists about the, the, the product. Mm-hmm. I don't, I feel like not enough artists are getting the opportunity to talk about that process and mm-hmm. talk about like, you know, that stuff that like people are making assumptions about or, you know, so I, I, I really, I feel that value system as well of like, mm-hmm. you know, let people see it and you kind of glossed over it, but like, you know, they see the chef get angry or something, you know, I mean, that's so like, we try not to get too it's, angry. <laughs> great. <laughs> but like you're human, you right. know, and like, you know, I, I, I think that's such you know, when I think about this problem of like losing creatives and I think about these problems of like the arts and, you know, how, how they are or aren't valued in our cultures. When I think about all this stuff, I find myself coming back again and again to the idea that, you know, it's kind of in this, like, are we willing to talk about like that stuff that's kind of messy? Are we willing mm-hmm. to talk about the stuff that's human? And if we are, then, you know, people who are feeling discouraged or feeling like not that confident about their creativity might be like, well, if these people are, you know, have made it, you know, it's all such a perception. Right. Um, and they still, you know, are human, then like maybe I can try. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think just culturally like that can make such a big difference. Well, you know, I, I, I laugh. I, I keep drawing on recent ex- conversations I've had with people, but, you know, there is no overnight success. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. The person that just succeeded overnight has been working and busting their ass for 10 years mm-hmm. or more. Or more. You know, and so that's, it takes a, a, it takes a certain kind of person and it takes a certain kind of stamina and will to fail a lot of times or to have some life trauma i mean look anybody who's successful at what they do to a certain degree there's a certain amount of luck involved yeah you know and the cards have to fall and sometimes in such a way where the opportunity and the door is open and unfortunately that is the harsh reality and for me that's kind of what happened with the music career you know like i just it just just fell just away, away you know yeah. and and that doesn't necessarily disappoint me you know because i can still pick up my guitar and i yeah. can still have that medium for myself yeah. when i want to um but yeah i think that it the 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 drive to be creative you know end quote is is individual it's yeah. personal. Totally. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. So, if I've learned nothing else doing this podcast, it's that. Like, you know, sometimes I interview people who like when they're talking, I'm like, yes, I feel the same way. Right. And then sometimes I interview people that I'm like, interesting. Like, right. I don't relate to that at all. Yeah. But I love the stuff you make. But like I, yeah. that, your process is so different from mine. Um, well, so what about the other side where it's more like, like your personal like identity? Are there things, are there, do you feel like, this is kind of a leading question, but do you feel like the work that you do in the restaurant is like the best parts of you? Do you feel like you want all of you there? Cause it's like, it's like the restaurant has its own kind of identity. Yeah. But like, how does it relate to you? Well, um, 
Well, my dad's picture hangs over the kitchen, you know, and yeah. um, to a large degree, the restaurant would not be possible if he didn't pass. Yeah. Um, so for me, there is a lot of personal pride in that and what I feel like I've built yeah. literally and what I've created. So th- a lot of my personal maybe ambition maybe not my personality but Mm -hmm. my ambition of what we've wanted to make that place um is in that building and i think people can feel that that's great um i don't think i'll ever take that picture down if if so long as i work in that building but if i don't and other people progress maybe they'll just keep it up i don't know but there's no so it's just it's um yeah, it is a, a huge part of my identity, I think. Yeah. I think it's a gigantic part of my identity. Yeah. Is it, you know, like if I'm just, you know, walking around the street or whatever, like I, no, nobody says like, oh, yeah. that's Chef from Table X. It, sometimes maybe that happens. Yeah. But, but, you know, I like to run. I, I like to yeah. have a work-life balance. I like to you know, do things at home that are creative. And right now I'm trying to renovate some of my house. And, and, you know, like I said, I got two German shepherds that I like to take on long walks and hike and do things like that. Um, So there's, there's, my identity is for sure probably tied to that restaurant and it probably will be for a very long time. Um, But there is definitely a part of me that tries to separate it and tries to, feed my own soul you know in a different way totally so yeah i like to ask people because i I think some people are very like real fluid about like their their like whatever they're dealing with is like in the art and you know that's it's going to be different depending on the medium some people i think like that's a really interesting thing to think about actually yeah how that affects what we do as far as the food's concerned you know uh, how we're feeling or where our emotions are at or you know that could be a very interesting topic to explore yeah i haven't really thought about it that way but um i know that when things are hard and when you know maybe we're understaffed or maybe business problems are a little bit harder or equipment's breaking or whatever if we hit stuff like that maybe it blocks the the creative engine a little bit or, um, or you have to be creative in like a different out, kind yeah, of a way. In a different yeah. kind of way. But yeah, I mean, professional cooks <laughs> and people that, that do this for a living uh, are very creative people. Yeah. People that, you know. Have are, to be. Yeah, they're very creative. Not just from a standpoint of actually cooking food or like, yeah. you know. But that big picture, like creative problem solving. Yeah, pr- problem solving. That's my exactly. favorite. That's yeah. my favorite stuff. Like I love yeah. working with people who, who's like, like medium is a creative thing, yeah. but who also have this kind of like big picture, you know, this kind of problem solving creativity. It's, it's really satisfying. Sure. And I think maybe sometimes that's, bigger picture problem solving kind of stuff can sometimes be hard to tackle and wrap your brain around. Yeah. You can only like problem solve with what's in front of you. Totally. But, um, well, and we each carve out kind of like our, the space that we can affect, you know, I mean, so that's part of it too. Um, what, what's like, uh, you know, maybe just even you can do a big picture or like a, you know, to 
right now, but what's like the thing that is the biggest, like the most challenging for you in, in kind of like a, what's the hardest thing for like yourself to like deal with? From a business perspective or just from a creative, just more, being creative? I think more just kind of like per, like a personal, like as it applies to your creativity, like what's kind of the, I mean, you can say a business thing if you want, but. Well, so, so it never feels like there's enough time in the day, right? Yeah. So I would love to say time, but that's not a valid excuse, I think, because, you know, you make time for the things that are important. Maybe like just prioritizing, like which Maybe, thing you... Yeah, it's so I I wear a, quite a few hats at the restaurant, and we all do. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of more of the business mindset guy. Yeah, you have you know. a business degree. Well, not and just that, but you know, I have a lot of the investment, yeah. and I have a lot of uh, I have a lot to lose mm. per se. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that fear of losing it or failing mm. um, is definitely something that blocks a lot of my mm-hmm. ability to just be free flowing. Yeah, you know? present and yeah. Yeah, and there are days that are definitely I'm much better at it than others yeah. for whatever reason. I really don't know. You know, maybe I went for a run that day or maybe I got a better sleep or something. It's, maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's the weather. Yeah. Maybe it's the strength of my coffee. I don't yeah. know. Like, so I, I relate to that. Like, There are days where I'm, it's just firing on all cylinders, yeah. you know, and then there are other days where like I'm pretty stressed or whatever and I can't, and it's, it's like kind of like robotic type yeah. stuff. And those are hard days, yeah. <laughs> you know, those are days where it, it's challenging. But again, I think for me, I show up every single day because I have a lot of fear, mm. you know, and I, cause I don't, and I think that is, is, is good. I think yeah. it's healthy. I yeah. think it's natural. I don't think, I think if I wasn't afraid of losing it yeah. every single day, there'd probably be something wrong with me. I've given a similar answer to that question. You like know. a fear is a big motivator for me too, but I don't, I feel like that's another one of those things that people get a little like, Oh, you can't be fear motivated. But I just think, you know, those things mean different things to people. Yeah, and to me, it's that it's, I don't try to sit in a state of fear. Yeah. However, there's like in the back of my brain, yeah. it, it it will never go away until yeah. I know it's financially over the roadblock. You right. Know, well, my guess is like the, the, the simple fact that you don't want to sit in the fear is like the thing that right. keeps you like right just outside of it, you know, right. like it's right. It's behind. <laughs> right. That's how it feels to me too. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about just like, you know, um, I don't know, maybe like cultural things or like, you know, the importance of like creativity, you know, values in like our work or, or any, anything that you like, you know, have a soapbox about or, or anything you want to, you want to say. Um, anything, you know, philosophical about what, what it is you're doing or we're doing. Well, yeah. I mean, with respect to being a chef and a restaurant owner and, and, that side of the creative element um 
you know, I think a lot of, if we're talking to young people, if that's yeah. sort of our thing, you know, or, or early creatives that, yeah. or people maybe that are having a hard time with creativity or a good time, I don't know. But like, it was, it's always been told to me that be humble, mm. you know, um, remember what is important to you. And, and it was always told to me as a young cook to never compromise your integrity. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of had a soapbox about that, I guess, yeah. you know, um, my, the way I cook and the way I do things is different from some of the ways that other people cook and do things. The way people write is different from the next, you know, all of these mm-hmm. the people bring their own personal story and history and life and experience to their medium. Yeah. And, um, and I've always wanted to make sure I am aware of that, Yeah, you know, because if I'm doing something that isn't true to the way I would do it or the way I feel like it should be done, then it's not worth giving to a guest or selling to somebody, yeah. you know, and maybe that's prideful or whatever, but I think it also is just, um, it's a, it's a, it's a respect for what you do. And for our industry specifically, it's a respect to the craft. It's a respect to the tradition. It's a respect to. And like, you know, the earth, like you said before. Yeah. The earth, you know, and, and, and the planet for that matter. I mean. Yeah. I, I really like that thought. I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. That first that first piece of like, you know, um, staying in your own integrity, like with what you're doing is, I mean, it's so important. Um, lately, I've been kind of obsessed with uh, trying to spend more time like understanding what other people's integrity looks like and thinking like, how, how can I like work with or around this person in a way that like lets them be in like their full integrity and like what's, you know, what sort of like a beautiful Venn diagram can we make with like our Yeah, that's a really interesting thought where everybody crosses over. Yeah, mm-hmm. because sometimes there are going to be clashes. Like sure. Sure, sure, surely there are people you just like can't collaborate with and, and maintain your values. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, lately I've been thinking a lot. I th- and I think about this with my students too, because I'm very careful not to impose like my sure. values on them or like, you know, um, but to re- kind of like work around like what their kind of compass is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really like intrigued by that idea recently, which again is why like, I like having these conversations. Right. It's just gives me like a lot to think about. Okay, I think we're about ready to wrap it up. So I'd like to ask everybody at the end, what's your dream project or your dream collaboration? Or like, what's something that's like... Dream. Yeah, and it it can be big if you want. Mm. Well, so... You know, I'm the chef, you know, and so like I follow chefs and so there's a from my perspective, a lot of chefs that have made it, you know, (laughs) so to speak, but I'm sure that in their minds, they don't think they have, um, but they definitely have, um, (laughs) uh, you know, one day if this career is, it it keeps going the way it is, if it allows me an opportunity to, um, cook with, or even hang out with, 
somebody like that that was very inspirational you know somebody like a for me like a like a dan barber kind of person or a you know um even if i was to go back and like have dinner today with melissa kelly the woman yeah. i used to work with um, which is still possible i could do that those are all things that if i cooked with her one day or even if i she ate in my restaurant one day yeah you know that would be very um very meaningful to yeah. me for sure um if maybe I can go back to the school my dad graduated from and cook there or, yeah. go, or go there, there's all kinds of things I could think about maybe. But um, I ultimately what matters is truly is the experience that we provide our guests mm -hmm. every day. And so that's where I like to try and thrive, you know. And uh, providing that experience because that is a lot, a large ninety percent of what we do. Yeah, the food is very very important, but it's only ten percent because the people and their experience and what they yeah. perceive there ultimately is what keeps them coming back. Totally. And so that's where I find a lot of my personal success and, and enjoyment in what we do is watching people's reactions. You know, or That's getting awesome. getting the feedback or getting the reviews or getting the things that people are like, you know, thank you for being here. You know, yeah. I definitely feel that way. I mean, you Utah is changing, mm -hmm. I think, I hope rapidly. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, we're growing rapidly. Yeah, so certainly. So yeah. maybe that the change will come with that. Yeah. But I, I definitely feel like grateful that you guys are here. Um, any like dreamy projects with the restaurant that you're kind of, yeah. So the, the current project right now is, uh, we're trying to open a bakery below us. Sweet. So, um, we'll be a wholesale bakery for restaurants to buy our bread. Um, That's great. anybody else that wants to buy our bread, uh, we'll also be a retail bakery. We'll do, um, coffee and tea and pastries and, awesome. um, confections and other things like that. Maybe have a couple tables where people can sit and have lunch. Yeah. Um, great. and then, uh, hopefully next spring, if I get everything put together, we'll, we're going to try and do the first table X farmer's market in our parking That's lot. That's great. Do yeah. you guys ever think about like, uh, having your own like livestock? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny. There was a chef, uh, who came to the restaurant who was actually one of our instructors who came early on and he told us that we should have like you know, a couple of chickens running around or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, just to, you know, cause people laugh and we yeah. don't actually use the chicken, <laughs> but we just have chickens running around. Um, we've thought about that. It, uh, it's not necessarily built into the system, yeah. you know, or the operation, but we've thought yeah. about it. We've yeah. had bees. Bees. Yeah. That's great. So, uh, we had bees last season. Um, and hopefully maybe she's listening to this. We, we need to get our honey. We're still waiting on our honey. What's her name? Uh, Natalie. Natalie. The chefs at Table X need their honey. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no. We, we, That's we, great. We got a lot That's of fun projects. New going projects on. all the time. Yeah. I love it. It's so exciting. Okay. What are your like handles and website and socials? Yeah, you can follow us uh, on social media at Table X Restaurant. Uh, website, tablexrestaurant.com. Um, yeah. We're open uh, Tuesday through Saturday, 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., dinner only. Reservations are on uh, exploretalk.com. Exploretalk.com. I need, I'm going to make one. It's T-O-C-K, talk. Okay, exploretalk.com. 
gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Great. Nick, thanks so much for Thank being here. Thank you so here. much. This was so much fun. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our music is by Jerem Hansen and artwork by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.